Hello, welcome to Love Alexi. My name is Alexi Wasser. I am your host, and this is my podcast. Uh, welcome to the show. Today's episode is long overdue. I am reading all of your emails. All right, it's been a long time coming. I meant to do this sooner, and now I have tons of emails that have piled up. And you know, so what if I do this once every six months? That's how it is. That's how it's been. I'm going to try to get better at it, but at least I'm doing it. Um, oh, everybody out there, how are you? Uh, before I start getting into all of these incredible emails, some are light and fun and casual. Others are very intense and not fucking around. Uh, I just want to say, wow, what a week. Uh, did everybody read the article about Max Landis and the Daily Beast? Because if you have not read this article, run, don't walk. Max Landis is uh, the son of John Landis. John Landis is a famous, uh, very well-known director and writer. Uh, He directed, uh, I think, Animal House, uh, the National Lampoon movies, just so many things. There's so many, uh, a bunch of funny movies from the 80s. Uh, I think Ghostbusters, was it? I I don't know. Anyway, his son, Max, is um, a writer-director and uh, very unlikable guy. A lot of people can't stand him. Uh, I feel that way about him. Have felt that way for a long time. Uh, I met him years ago, and the minute I met him, I was like, oh, oh boy. My intuition was like, this guy's bad news. Bad news. Get away from him. Get away from him. Oh God, I don't like how I feel. And that's how I, how I like lived uh, lived my life. You know, he would kind of bully me on Facebook sometimes, uh, ask me to be in some video of his. Uh, I couldn't make it. He wanted me to, I had to drop everything and kind of go over and do it on his time frame. And I was not able to do that. And I don't like it when people are like that with me, Um, which is why I don't have uh, a lot of famous girlfriends anymore because, well, I do have friends who are well-known, successful, what have you. Uh, Sometimes what comes with that. If you meet the wrong successful person, um, they like it for you to uh, drop everything at the drop of a hat for them when they need you. And uh, I don't like that. I think it's disrespectful. Anyway, um, so he wanted me to come over and do the thing. I couldn't. And uh, he just rubbed me the wrong way. Always aggressive, always irritating. Writing in all caps on Facebook even was like too much. I always felt like I was being screamed at even when he would come up on my feed. You know, and then he'd leave horrible, rude, just unnecessary comments on my photos. So I blocked him. Then I'd see him around town. I continued to feel uh, annoyed and irritated at his uh, any aggressive exchange he would have where he'd be like, hey, Wasser, and then smack me on the back at Whole Foods when I ran into, into him one time at Whole Foods. Just unlikable. Then the whisper stories, the whisper circuit between women in Los Angeles happened where I would always go, Oh God, I can't stand Max Landis. Like what is about something about him? Just his energy. And uh, that's when I started hearing about the horrible ways in which he treated his ex-girlfriends. And uh, I was like, Oh my God, it's a whole new level of why he is an abuser. And then the article came out, the article came out and uh, just read it for yourself. Uh, it, it involves uh, alleged rape. I'm saying alleged because I think feel like you have to say that. Um, psychological manipulation and abuse and just, oh, shaming and weird, just weird, fucked up psychological abuse and physical abuse and just no boundaries. And anyway, I would like for his father to say something. 
Because people have known what a prick Max is and how inappropriate and fucked up and manipulative manip, manipulative he is for a long time. Um, but this just uh, opened my eyes to a lot of disgusting behavior that made my heart sink and so sad. And I'm the, the only good thing about this article is the fact that um, these women were brave enough to come together, tell their story, and warn and protect other girls who meet him. Girls fresh off the bus, wanting to make it big in showbiz, uh, falling, potentially falling for his, you know, he has a lot of money, he comes from a famous, wealthy family, and uh, can be enticing. And the way he likes to deal with people is to make you feel included and then exclude you and then talk shit. And it's like this really weird, clicky, fucked up way of being that fucks with people and uh, just keeps people controlled. Oof. I'm so glad I listened to my instinct and intuition about him immediately. Oh, see, that's the thing. We all have wonderful intuition. It's whether or not we listen to it. So anyway, just read the piece and you'll know what I'm talking about. Max Landis, the piece about him from a couple days ago in the Daily Beast online. Um, other things I want to talk about. I mean, let's get a little bit lighter. Let's move aside from uh, mental, emotional, and physical uh, abuse and move on over, segue over to the Beverly Hills Housewives and Below Deck Mediterranean. Oh my goodness. Everybody, it's been a wild week of me procrastinating work I have to do, uh, but that's okay. You have to make time for Bravo. I have been, you know, I, I always, you know, I love... New York Housewives. I love The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. This week, I don't know if you all watched it, if any of you out there watch it. I mean, let me take a sip of my cocktail because it's after five and it's a cocktail episode today on the Love Alexi podcast because I'm reading your emails and it's just going to get heavier and heavier. Gross. Anyway, so the ladies are in Provence. All right, they're in France. They're in a chateau. It's very luxurious, very highbrow, fancy, if you will. Um, I can't stand Teddy Mellencamp. She is so irritating to me. Uh, Not on a a level that Max Landis was irritating to me. This is just, I don't like the tone of her voice. I don't like listening to her voice. And um, yeah. And now she's always just putting her nose in other people's business. She's crawling up Kyle Richard's ass. I don't like it. And now uh, they're in Provence, in the Chateau. Erica Jane, who I adore, I love her. She's no bullshit. She's so funny. She's just like a Barbie doll, life-size Barbie doll. Uh, They're at dinner. Erica has had a migraine all day, isn't feeling so great, is unable to drink at the wine tasting. She has a migraine. Back off. Get off her dick. Anyway, the night before, which is what probably gave her the migraine, uh, in a previous episode, uh, she is talking to Lisa Rinna. Kyle Richards and Teddy are, are asking Erica, Erica, weren't you upset when Lisa Rinna dressed up as you for Halloween and then uh, she said the, 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 the cunt word? She, she called my sister a cunt? Weren't you offended that she called someone a cunt pretending to be you? Erica Jane was like, what? No. What, why are you trying to bait me into being upset at something? It has nothing to do with me. Lisa Rinna dressed up as me uh, as my performer alter ego, Erica Jane, for Halloween, 
acted a certain way, and I'm not offended by it. That's Lisa Rinna's decision, all right? But Teddy and Kyle, and especially Teddy, they were like, I just want honesty. Like, you aren't upset. It's weird that you're not upset at Lisa Rinna for saying cunt and being rude when she was pretending to be you as your persona. Erica Jane is like, are we still talking about this? What are we talking why are we talking about this? This is so unnecessary. Anyway, she goes to sleep in the morning uh, on a brand new episode. She comes down to the table to have breakfast uh, with all the girls. She has a migraine. All right. And then all of a sudden you can tell the girls, Kyle Richards and Teddy Mellencamp are eyeing Erica because she doesn't sound as fun or upbeat or happy uh, like she usually does. She seems too calm. She seems a little stoic and like a bummer. But it's because she has a migraine. Get off her fucking dick, I said. Anyway, they go to the wine tasting. The women get drunk. Erica's not drinking because she has a migraine. And then the shit talking of Erica behind her back uh, begins. It's Kyle Richards and Teddy Mellencamp. Even telling the story, I'm getting bored telling this story. Um, and they're at dinner. The girls are getting more and more wasted. And it comes out to Erica right after Erica says at the table, you know what? Uh, I've actually, I've never felt so comfortable with a group of women before. In the past, I never felt comfortable. And with you group of women, it's, it's, a, it's a really big deal. I finally, I finally feel comfortable with, with a group of women, this group of women. And that's when Teddy and Kyle decide to drunkenly uh, assassinate her and say, we still think that you it's weird that you aren't admitting the truth that you probably did uh, get mad at Lisa Rinna for doing an impression of you and then acting out when she was dressed up as your doppelganger for Halloween. And Erica's like, why are we, what? Are you fucking I'm not mad. Stop trying to say that I'm mad. Stop trying to get me to say that I'm mad. I'm not mad. And then it devolves into Kyle Richards and Teddy Mellencamp uh, saying that they don't think she likes hanging out with the group. She's like, I just said, I, I just said I feel comfortable. Of course I, I have a nice time with you. What? She goes to bed. Anyway, it's just so irritating. I just can't. I'm, I'm ready for Teddy to go. I'm ready for Teddy to be off the show. She's so irritating to me. I love Kyle Richards. I'm sorry. I don't care if she's annoying every so often. She was really drunk. It was really fun to see her really drunk. Uh, Lisa Rinna. When did she become my favorite real housewife of Beverly Hills? I mean, my God, she was like the voice of reason speaking these incredible truths in this last episode of, of Beverly Hills. I couldn't believe it. She is just so badass and so deep. I had no idea. I mean, I've been getting a, a glimmer of it every episode more and more, but now I'm just like, whoa, I'm sold, Lisa Rinna. Um, anyway... So then I, I, you know, I got really vicious kind of on Twitter. I was like, ugh, I don't know if I, I can't stand Teddy. I kind of want Teddy to go, but at the same time, she's evoking quite a response from me. And isn't all, like, isn't that the only thing we really want from these people, from a show, to make us feel something? And uh, if Teddy, even if Teddy is making me feel upset or angry or bothered or triggered, if you will, Maybe that's her job, and maybe that's why she should she should she should she should stay. <laughs> oh my god, I'm like stuttering. This this is how uh, you know wound up I am. But the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, I'm fucking stuttering.
anyway, so that happened there. Uh, and then I'm just going to stay on Twitter because, you know, I felt bad. I was like, oh, God, later on in the episode, I, uh, I saw some humanity from Teddy Mellencamp. And I was like, you know, maybe she's not so bad, but I still can't stand her. Um, and I know she's a real person. So if she reads that, I, I don't feel good as shit talking, but whatever. Um, she's on that show and she's got to be ready for this. And I had a strong emotional and visceral reaction to uh, her behavior. So anyway, I'm uh, continuing to be on Twitter. I was, you know, I commented on the housewife stuff, whatever. Um, And I made this joke, not having to do with the housewives, about, I just said something like like nothing, like a throwaway thing where I went, wow, people on the internet can be really rude with their comments. It was actually a joke. It was because, yeah, duh, we know. Like if you unpack that, it's like, yeah, people feel like they can... uh, they can hide behind uh, the internet, you know, you can be as mean as you want to be. Duh, of course people can be mean on the internet. Everybody knows that. So it was just, for me, it was just like a really light, uh, ironic joke that wasn't even that funny. It was just whatever. It was like throwaway. It was just like, yeah, duh. And this girl responded, and this girl does not follow me on, on, uh, on Twitter. And she wrote, hey, remember that time you uh, Insta-storied my crotch and put it on the internet? Okay, so let me give you a little backstory. Two years ago, I did something uh, not very mindful. Two years ago, I was in Texas. I was in Dallas, Texas, visiting a friend. And uh, I went out to go grab a coffee at Starbucks. And I was with like a friend of my friend. We were at Starbucks together. And he was like, oh, I love your Insta stories. Like, And I went, oh. And I was like excited by the fact that he was complimenting my Insta stories and so dumb, I was like, oh, I'm going to do one right now because you like my Insta stories. So I'm going to, I'm going to, it's like a behind the scenes of Alexi Insta storying. Just so ridiculous and whatever. So, so I see this girl and she's wearing yoga pants. She's wearing leggings and they're light and they're giving her a camel toe. And I never wear leggings in public because I'm terrified of having camel toe. So I, Oh, I would never do this now. And this is a main reason I would never do it. Well, one, I wasn't proud of doing this. And two, well, t- I'll, t- I'll tell you. Okay, hold on. So I insta story uh, her camel toe. I don't think I got her face in it. I probably did because, I mean, I, I, I probably just did everything wrong in this situation. I, I'm so sorry even telling you this story. But I'm, you know, I'm going to tell you the truth. So... I insta story her camel toe with the caption like, this is why I'm terrified to wear leggings in public. Okay. It's more about me and my fear of camel toe, really, if you dig down deep. But uh, so then I get back to my friend's house. Literally 17 minutes later, I get a DM from the girl whose camel toe I storied. And she went, hey, I'm so-and-so. I follow you on Instagram. That's me. And I was like, oh my God, I immediately deleted it. I was so embarrassed. I was like, fuck karma. Like that's why I never, I never, I would even tell my other friends who would make fun of strangers in public. I would always say, oh, I don't like it when you do that. Or I don't like it when they do that because it's mean spirited. And like you're putting somebody who doesn't know they're being filmed on, you know, on Instagram. It's just rude. Don't do it. Not cool. And that was the first time I ever did it. And then I got busted in like 17 minutes flat. So it's like hilarious. Of course, this would happen to me. And I deserved it. And I, I took it down, apologized profusely, 
so sad. And then we like, we had a little cute back and forth and she forgave me. And I was like, oh my God, like I just made fun of myself and I just felt like horrible about it. And I thought, okay, we're done. We went through it. How wonderful communication. I learned learning lesson. Fantastic. So then two years later, the other day when I'm on Twitter, eviscerating Teddy Mellencamp, sorry. Um, I get this message from this girl from two years ago and like I I didn't lose it, but I got highly reactive, which is something I'm trying to work on, but I didn't mind my reactivity because I wrote, yeah, um, I was joking. First of all, my tweet was meaning that, yeah, of course, duh, people are mean on the internet. That's the joke. It didn't land. I will never do it again. Okay, fine. Uh, But then also... That was two years ago. I apologized. We went through this. And you don't follow me on Twitter. What are we doing here? Why? I learned. I'm a different person now. It's two years later. I was a different person 17 minutes later when you busted me two years ago. You know? So, oh my God. Anyway, so that's my uh, adventures on social media this week. Um, Yikes. I do want to say, before I start reading all these emails, I want to say, uh, if you like the Love Alexi podcast, if you like this podcast, subscribe on iTunes, rate the show, leave a comment, um, always send me emails if you'd like to dearlovealexi at gmail.com. So for the next reading emails episode, I can read your email. And uh, you know, if you want to advertise on the Love Alexi podcast, all you have to do is DM me on Instagram at Alexi Wasser. And um, I offer big sister sessions. So if you would like to uh, sign up, schedule a big sister session with me, I would adore that. I would love that. All you have to do is uh, click the link in my bio on my Instagram at Alexi Wasser. Now, a big sister session is where I serve as the big sister you never knew, you always needed and wanted. Um, it's like a Skype session. I offer them to men and women. For a while, I only offer them to women. But now, whoever you are, wherever you are, uh, you sign up for one, you put it on the schedule, and then uh, we Skype. And it's like a, it's a therapy sesh with me as your big sis. And you tell me everything you're going through, whatever turmoil it is you're spiraling over, anything you need advice with, I listen to all of it. Uh, I give you fantastic advice. I promise you that. And you leave the session with action steps and tools to uh, to uh, make you feel more empowered than you did before and uh, to handle all the stress that you're going through. So you, you walk away going, wow, everything's all right. I feel so much lighter now. Anyway, and I just love all the little sisters and little brothers I've made um, over the past, I think a year and a half, maybe. Oh my goodness. That's how long I've been doing them. And I've done so many and they're like just wonderful. I feel like I have this cute little adorable family of friends, little sisters and brothers anyway. Um, so yeah, click the link in my bio for that. If that sounds interesting and neat to you and believe it or not, I've had so many male clients because I know a lot of people are like, Oh men probably not never sign up. Right. Never. They do. They do. And it actually makes me go, wow, I have so much hope in, in men and for men because they're so, um, or at least the ones I've spoken to during these sessions, are so open-hearted, vulnerable, searching, and want to be better, want to make the right choices. They're thinking deeply about things. You know, not to assume that men wouldn't be, but you know, I'm a woman and I deal with all of my things, not to get too gender specific or binary or what have you, but... But uh, 
a long time ago, I used to make the mistake of uh, just thinking that men weren't as emotional as women. But that was that was uh, that was a blunder on my part because we're all just people, and uh, depending on who you are, you know, we all have emotions and feelings, and they manifest in the ways that they do. And uh, it's just been a lovely thing to and cathartic to talk to all these deeply emotional men and women. Um, over the course of uh, me doing these big sister sessions. Anyway, let's get to the first email. Oh, and you know what? Okay, so what I was going to say about uh, Bravo's, uh, whatever the show is called, Below Deck Mediterranean. Listen, I didn't think I was going to be making a point on this show about Below Deck Mediterranean, but you don't have to have watched it to know what I'm talking about. I'll lay it out for you. Um, so it's... The show is about this like staff, this crew on a uh, on a super yacht, and they're behind the scenes with the crew on the super yacht. They're in the Mediterranean, uh, and you're kind of getting to know all the all the new faces and and uh, employees on the ship. And the chef, her name is Chef Mila. Now, Chef Mila is new to below deck Mediterranean, and. Uh, they're all about to go out on the town after their first charter, and she kind of was disappointing with her food. She said she went to the she was she's a cordon bleu trained chef, and uh, bleu ugh. Anyway, sorry. Okay, um, and her food was uh, less than stellar. So anyway, they're in the car at night, going out after their first charter, letting their hair down, getting to know each other, and Mila. Mila is uh, a Russian woman. Um, Mila talks about how she feels about gay people, gay men in particular. And it comes out that she does not like men being gay. She makes some shitty comments. Uh, she's homophobic, homophobic as fuck. And, uh, and all the people in the car like turn on her quickly. The crew, it spreads like wildfire. They are turning on her. They do not like her. They are, she is out. She is out of the loop. She's like uh, what Max Landis would do to you if you made one false move at the color party in Hollywood and Tinseltown. You're out. All right? And I get it with Mila. Like, I get, I mean, I get why they didn't like her. I was like, ooh, fuck. Ugh, God. You have to, you feel like that? Are you kidding? It's 2019. This is so irritating. You're on a super yacht. You're supposed to be liberal and liberated and cool and like open minded. Like, I didn't expect you to be here on this Bravo show. The villain of the Bravo show, the homophobic villain on the Bravo show. Um, but here's one tweak I have for all the other, um, for the stews, for the, you know, whatever, the, 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 all the other people on the yacht that work with Mila. I would have loved it if instead of just being really mean to her and icing her out and just like turning on her and being a dick, I think it would be even better for her, maybe this would fall in deaf ears, but it would be better for her, for the audience of the TV show you're on, and for um, for other people who are like Mila watching the show, if there are, um, if somebody had made time to have this like TV moment, this like opportunity of televised like conversation, uh, to sit her down and go, listen, I heard what you said in the car. Um, I don't agree with your point of view and here's why. I don't want to be a dick to you and, and like, you know, because it, it doesn't help just to be like, fuck you, cunt. It just doesn't help. 
you know, like I get why you don't like her and why she rubs you the wrong way and you have every right to those feelings, but you have this opportunity to be on television to take it one step further and just tweak your reaction to her where it doesn't have to be so angry. Um, you can use it to the, the world's advantage and you could just be really eloquent and uh, just go, it really bothered me what you said. Um, I'd love to understand why you think that. And I'm going to tell you why I I disagree and why, how you think is so hurtful to people I love. And, uh, uh, also Mila said, well, what? Uh, I have one gay friend. When she tried to like backtrack or backpedal, she was like, I have a gay friend. He's my, he's my, uh, my hairdresser. And he doesn't like to hold his boyfriend's hand in public or kiss his boyfriend in public because he thinks it's weird. He, he doesn't like to do it. But really, if we had taken, if we had expanded on this moment and during a conversation with Mila after she said this boneheaded, boneheadedness, uh, we could have said, or somebody on the yacht could have said, Mila, your friend probably tells you that he doesn't like being gay and is uncomfortable with public displays of affection because of people like you judging him and he doesn't feel okay to be who he really is. So I, I imagine he's internally suffering and at odds with himself because he can't do something as simple and beautiful as reciprocating love uh, from his boyfriend or for his boyfriend. Anyway, hindsight is twenty twenty. I wasn't there. I'm just saying that uh, if, if two people shut down and, and ice each other out because they have different points of view, um, change isn't really made or it's, it's, you're less likely to make change. So, uh, and plus, so it just would have made, uh, you know, ample TV, an ample opportunity for wonderful television and, uh, you know, talking about feelings and educating on Bravo. Anyway, um, but I don't want that to sound like I'm sticking up for Mila in any way. She's, uh, she's already a bad chef and now she's homophobic. It just keeps getting worse. Anyway, um, here is the first email of the episode. I'm a little bit tipsy, so I hope that uh, I'm making okay points. And I'll talk to you about my experience with, with Oprah's podcast, her Soul Sundays podcast in a moment. This first email uh, is from Chloe. She says, hi, Lexi. I'm going through something in my relationship right now, and I feel like I could use an outside opinion. You're the girl I thought of. I'm 24. He's 32. My boyfriend of six years, we've lived together for four years, has a new female friend from work. They work in TV news, so you can imagine the level of facial symmetry and amounts of makeup that this girl is working with. Ooh, meow, rawr. Anyway, I just wanted to say that. I always think it's funny to say rawr. Um, anyway, okay. Uh, he texts this girl and talks to me about her pretty often. We invited her to hang out with us a couple times since because uh, she had just gone through a breakup, but she always bails. A few weeks ago, my boyfriend invited her to my birthday party at our house, and the girl showed up late, smoked a little weed, and immediately fell asleep on our couch uh, until the next morning. I barely spoke to her, but the whole time I had a bad feeling about having her at our house. I trust my intuition, and this girl gives me a feeling of jealousy. I told my boyfriend the next day how jealous I felt, uh, and he brushed it off. I went out of town for about three weeks and just returned. Yesterday, I looked at his text with this girl, and the level of closeness in their friendship is very bothersome to me. She is like his best friend. What's more, 
He's texting her complaining about me and not shining a good light on me. I confronted him immediately. He apologized. I said I didn't see how he expected me to hang out with this girl when I'm the one who is supposed to be his girlfriend, yet he is talking to her about me behind my back. I'm shocked and hurt. I don't know how big of a deal this is or if I need to be cool and let him have a female friend. He swears he's never cheated on me and never will. I want to believe him. I think I do believe him. I'm 24 and he's 32. After being together so long, I can't believe we're going through this. We've been talking about marriage and children next, and I feel like I can't go forward with that right now. This feels like a big deal. Am I overreacting? Uh, fuck no, you're not overreacting. This is bullshit. Um, yeah, I'd be, I would be furious. And I know we're stumbling over the fact, we're glossing over the fact that you read his text. That's not cool. But... I mean, you should never check your boyfriend's phone. You really shouldn't. It's not a good look. You don't want to be that person. But in this case, I feel like you are following your gut, trusting your intuition, going off a hunch, and you felt compelled to check his phone. You checked it. You found something. You didn't like what you found. But also, you told him that you did this. So, it's you know, you did something less than great, but you admitted to it, and you two talked about it. I just wonder now that if when you go through his phone, he's going to have deleted all the things. I don't know. That's why it's not good to tell the boyfriend when you go through the phone because then they know you're going to go through it. Not that I've ever done that. I've never done that. How dare you? Um, I don't like it. That's what my gut says right now. I don't like this one bit. I think it's like totally rude. She's smoking weed and falling asleep on your couch. You guys are all hanging out together. It's suspect. All right. That's all I have to say. I don't know what you're going to do. But you are 24 and he's 32. Hmm. Yeah. You guys have been together for a long time. 24. Hmm. 18. You got together with him when, he was, when you were 18. Yeah, I don't like it. I don't think you're overreacting. That's all I have to say. And you can tell the boyfriend that. What are you doing? Don't. Here's what. Okay. I don't think my boyfriend would ever do that. I mean, I don't think he would. Does he have female friends? Yeah, he has female friends. Can I be annoying sometimes? Yes. Is he allowed to complain to his friends? Is he allowed to? He is. Um, do I complain to, to him about, uh, to my friends about him if I'm in a weird mood? Well, not really. I usually complain about my own behavior in my relationship to my friends. Um, it's a weird one because I have male friends and female friends and you can't control a person. I'm really walking through... Uh, all of this in, uh, in baby steps in my mind. Yeah, you can't control anybody. And it's a horrible feeling to be in a relationship with someone who's trying to control you. Uh, I've been in a relationship where somebody tried to control me. I've been very controlling in relationships. I get very jealous. Um, but, you know, I don't like it. I wouldn't be hanging out with like my guy friend. I actually don't really hang out with any guy friends. I just don't. I try not to do anything that might bother my boyfriend like, and that I wouldn't want him to do to me and vice versa. You know, he has female friends he'll go to coffee with, but I just know that he loves me and you just have to trust that. But that's not always easy to feel that. I don't like that this girl got stony and fell asleep on the couch. And I don't like that he's complaining about you to her. It is bizarre. Yeah. I don't like it. So sue me. That's how I feel. I know I know no no answer for you. I don't know. 
Moving on. Um, All right. This letter is from Alex. Hi, Alexi. I love listening to your podcast. I find it comforting how conversational and candid you are. It's like hanging out with a friend. Not in a weird way, obviously. I know I don't know you. I just listened to you talking about antidepressants on your most recent episode. Have you ever heard of the concept of a highly sensitive person? HSP. There's a book by the title of The Highly Sensitive Person written by Elaine N. Aaron, PhD, if you're interested in looking into it. Uh, Basically, she posits that about 20% of the population actually has a more sensitive nervous system and their bodies process things differently than the rest of people. She talks about the shame often associated with being more sensitive and many ideas about how to take care of yourself and what self-care might look like for HSPs. Example, I am an HSP and typically need to take like uh, much less medicine than most other people for it to be effective. Sometimes a normal dose gives me bad side effects. I think there are many ways to look at and talk about how we are all wired differently. And I don't necessarily use HSP uh, as a personal definition, but I find it useful in explaining to others something about myself. Also, uh, some find it really validating to know that others are sensitive and uh, have trouble navigating our intense world. Life has changed so much in the last few hundred years. I'm not sure if humans have really caught up or if that would even be wise. Not to throw any sort of label on you, but I wonder if maybe you would identify with the idea of an HSP. There's so much shame around being sensitive in our culture and often so much judgment from those that aren't. I don't see you as having anything wrong with you. You just are sensitive and trying to navigate this crazy world. I too have been trying to decide to take antidepressants or not. I haven't come to a firm conclusion yet, but I can relate to your struggle of not wanting to take them, but wanting to feel better than maybe defending taking them even if you're not sure you want to in the first place. Whatever you choose, I hope that it helps you to walk the path that you want to walk in life, to be supported and loved. All the best, Alex. Alex, thank you so much. Uh, Yeah, you know what? I'm on Zoloft. I'm on 50 milligrams. I like it. I'm into it. I don't feel bad about it anymore. I'm not worried about getting off of it. I will get off of it if I want to. Right now, I still act out and have emotional outbursts. Yes, I am a very, I'm a highly sensitive person. But you know what? I've excavated and looked at myself so intensely, which I don't even want to do anymore. But uh, I have such an awareness of why I act the way I act. Um, And then I struggle with like, the knowledge of why I act the way I act, the knowledge of how I act, and now this pressure of like, how do you stop with the bad behavior? You know why you do it. You know that you do it. Now you have to start controlling your reactivity. So like all my issues pop up in, uh, in my romantic relationships. I'm in only one right now um, and hopefully forever. Anyway, um, so... You know, with the help of my partner, oh, I hate using the word partner, with my, my, my boyfriend's help, you know, we talk about stuff and things come up, you know, I'm just, I have an unfair way of being sometimes and it's not coming from a mean place. It's coming from fear. And so even me, and I appreciate the email. I love it. I think it's lovely and I am definitely very sensitive and I completely am into the idea that HSPs exist, highly sensitive people exist. But um, for me, it's not even that vague because that's, that's such a blanket statement. It's more like, oh yeah, well, yeah, I'm highly sensitive, but I know in what areas of my life I'm highly sensitive and I know why I'm highly sensitive. 
and I don't even think I know all of the reasons why or every detail about it, but I, I know a lot about it. And now, um, and I'm not so helpless that I can just, I like the idea that I can take control of my life and stop with this narrative that I've created for myself. Like, oh, well, this happened to me when I was little. So now in relationships, I'm going to lash out and I, I don't have any, I don't trust and I'm filled with fear and I have PTSD for my upbringing and I'm afraid I'm going to be abandoned. It's like, yeah, okay. All right. That's your, that's what happened. That's, that explains your behavior thus far. Do you want this to be the way it is forever? Oh, you don't? Oh, great. Okay. Well, then let's stop it. And uh, so that's where I'm at right now, where I don't want to just be like, I'm a highly sensitive person and I'm not making fun of you at all. I'm like just making fun of myself and being silly. I'm pretending to be me. I'm pretending to be me at a party being like, I'm a highly sensitive person. Um, It's more like I want to, I don't want to be a highly sensitive person. I I like the fact that it does serve me when I I talk about things, um, having empathy for people. Uh, you know, understanding what others are going through. It definitely helps my big sister sessions or just talking to anybody and having a real willingness and desire to like go deep with someone about what they're feeling and experiencing. But as far as being highly sensitive when it comes to like, oh God, if somebody says something to me and, you know, I've got to protect myself. I've got to be vigilant. I've got to be highly reactive immediately because they're trying to attack me. They're going to hurt me. They're going to make me feel bad. They're going to make me cry. Yeah, no, I don't want to be that person anymore. I want to be tougher than that because people, I'm not, in, I'm not in danger. Maybe I was in danger as a teenager. I was in danger as a child, like listening to my parents fight and my father being horrible and hiding in a closet. You know, I was, in, I was you know... I was in danger back then. I was in danger in my teens and early 20s at parties, getting drunk and, you know, and I was vigilant in those situations. And it, I think it really did keep me from getting attacked and raped. And I, I was always like expecting the worst, expecting the worst or just, oh my God, I was in a situation. I've been in situations before, multiple situations when I was in my early 20s, late teens where I didn't want to have sex with someone and the guy was trying to put his dick in me and I would literally cup my vagina. Cup, C-U-P, like drinking out of a cup. I would cup my vagina and be like, get the fuck off me. You know, or I'd say something like crazy and weird or I don't know, something. I would just, or push them. I was just, um, I would never walk down alleys. I wouldn't go places alone. I would just like, somebody would be like, follow me into this attic. And like, you know, I think I did one time when I was like 15. That didn't end well. But anyway, but never again. Boyfriends would be like, walk down this alleyway with me. Let's take the shortcut. No, not going to do it. I'm always afraid the worst thing is going to happen. That's what being vigilant and having like PTSD and living as if you always need to protect yourself because there's you're always going to be hurt. Like, yeah, that helped me out a lot. But right now in my relationship with the love of my life, I don't have to act that way because it doesn't serve our relationship. I'm overreacting and it's not necessary. So anyway, that was my long story longer. That was my long uh, you know, answer to uh, and response to your suggestion of uh, highly sensitive people. But, um, but yeah, I think everybody I know is highly sensitive because it's just the people I attract. Um, anyway, okay, I'm going to read this email now got 20 minutes left of the podcast and I've got a thousand more emails to read. Um, oh boy. 
Hey there, Alexi. I've been listening to your podcast for about a year now, and you never fail to serve me as the big sister I never had. I've always wanted to tell my story to a platform, but I've always feared rejection, disbelief, and just finding a way to tell my story how I'd like it to be told. For your younger viewers, such as myself, I don't believe that my story is uncommon. However, it is very hard to talk about, and those who have confronted me with similar situations are also extremely secretive about it. But it needs to be talked about. Any insight would be cherished. I was born in 1998. I'm 20 years old. And like most of my fellow Gen Zers, I was raised with a desktop computer in my home. And by the time I was in middle school, I had a smartphone. The story starts at the beginning of puberty, which hit very early. By the time third grade rolled around, I was plagued with small breasts that only grew uh, to double Ds by grade seven and hormonal rage. I found videos of girls kissing on YouTube and liked the feeling it gave me. As an eight-year-old in the early 2000s, I had more knowledge of the internet than my parents, given that I was raised learning how to use it. I then found a website called Chat Avenue, one of the first online chat sites that opened in 2000. I found strangers wanting to talk to me. When I turned on my webcam, I always got this rush of adrenaline. I learned my way around uh, the site very quickly and was very absorbent of the compliments I received. I started public camming, showing my body in exchange for compliments. Thousands of men watched me at once. I became addicted to this and easily kept it a secret. I don't blame my parents for this because in an era of extreme change, what baby boomers thought this could happen? My sister was born four years later, and by the time she was eight, her elementary school offered lectures for parents to attend on internet safety, and she was protected. I missed the boat. Meanwhile, when I was 12 or 13, I recognized the nature of my behavior for the first time, but kept silent still. By the time I was 16, I was hyper aware of what I was doing, decreasing it more and more with shameful adult awareness, but I was still addicted. I had my first long-term boyfriend at this time, and he was my first sexual partner. It was not hard to figure out that I could not orgasm without the prompt of an older, enthusiastic internet stranger. My boyfriend was the first person I ever told about my addiction. Up until two years ago when I befriended a sexual violence survivor, I believed strongly that I was in charge of this decision, always being more mature than my age. I believed somehow I was victimizing these men who mostly have marriages. I still did not fully believe it, only recognizing this as factual evidence that never truly emotionally reached me. I still in many ways feel responsible for the sexual upbringing I've endured. Here's the thing. I love sex. It emotionally satisfies me, but I don't feel a fraction of the physical pleasure I get from being on those websites, which I'm now over a year clean from. But the feeling afterward is polar opposite, one causing extreme guilt and depression and the other genuine connection. I'm with someone else now, and I've never been more physically and intellectually attracted to someone. I've discussed this with him. I want to be able to orgasm from having sex with him, and he wants to help me be able to do this. I know you're not a sex counselor, and I probably need to see one, But a moral conflict that I've had with this fetish or trauma or whatever you want to call it is uh, if, if I should embrace it and try to diminish the negativity around it and utilize it in my sex life, or if I should try to retrain my brain to be able to orgasm when I feel connection, not domination. I have struggled morally that I have enabled pedophilia. When I turned 18, the urge to take part in this decreased amazingly. I think it's partially because I had become an adult in the legal sense. This addiction to the headspace of a child being taken advantage of has damaged my sex life. I would just love to be able to have an orgasm again, but in a way that doesn't make me want to die after. Still, 
now that I am not camming, only young and old porn or videos of men masturbating and dirty talking are what gets me there. I worked as a camp counselor over last summer, and in my conversations with the children, I was happy to hear that many of their parents heavily monitor and restrict their internet use, knowing that their innocence was spared, allowed for a few tears to fall in the bathroom that day. Now, if you Google Chat Avenue, there are plenty of articles exposing it for the pedophile playground that it is. My message is not only for parents with young children, but other young adults who have faced similar circumstances. What would you do if you were us, Alexi? The most love to your beautiful soul. Signed, your friend, N. Oh my goodness. Um, well, first of all, thank you for this letter. Uh, it's beyond honest, and I'm so thankful that you entrusted me to read it and read it on this podcast. My advice to you, I think, well, first of all, I, you know, I've said it before, I'll say it again. I am not a counselor. I'm not a shrink. I'm not a psychologist. Um, I'm just your, 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 your internet friend. Um, not from Chad Avenue. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm your, your, uh, your new friend, Lexi, your big sis, if you will. And, uh, I would say follow your gut. You know, you, you're having issues with this. Like, you know, that, that you, uh, associate having an orgasm with like, with something that you're not comfortable with and that you have this kind of addiction and, and, and this thing that stimulates you and, and you want to feel, you want to orgasm with somebody that you are in love with and you have a connection with. And, and I think you're, you're putting all the pieces together. I think you should be in therapy. I don't know if you've spoken about this with your parents, but I would if I were you. And I think that you should use whatever platform, whether it's your Instagram or talking to your parents or, or being an older speaker at a, at a high school or a junior high school, um, talking about what you've been going, what you've experienced in your life just to warn people. You know, like I was saying about the Max Landis uh, article, expose in, in, uh, in the Daily Beast, the fact that these girls were brave enough to, uh, to tell their stories to protect other girls who might have a sexual encounter or, you know, meet Max Landis, um, I think that, that it's a wonderful thing to use your experience to warn and protect other kids, you know, and that will empower you. Uh, I was shocked. Like when I read your, like what, what you told me, I mean, not, I wasn't like judgmental of what you'd done, but I, I, I was like, fuck, yeah, this must be happening all the time. I had no idea. Oh my goodness. And it reminded me of like situations I've, I'd gotten into when I was younger, not necessarily on the internet, but like, yeah, weird situations you find yourself in, um, inappropriate situations that you know are wrong, but you're like, oh, I'm, I know what's going on. I know this is wrong. So I feel empowered. And then years later you go, oh my God, that person was like 40 and married. I was a kid. Why wasn't anybody protecting me? Why was he doing this? He should have known better. Like I have plenty of situations like that, not necessarily on Chat Avenue, but in my life. And, and a lot of women do, a lot of boys do, a lot of guys do, people do. So, and you know, the internet is just another... Uh, avenue, a chat avenue, if you will, where this shit runs rampant. And yeah. Um, so I think, yeah. And your brain is a bit confused. Like, like you, you, uh, you had a coming of age experience where you're learning about sex and, uh, and coming and this and that. Sorry, I don't mean to be so crass, but, uh, you can handle it uh, or uh, can you? Oh God. Um, and it's like, you got your wires crossed. 
and it's affecting your current relationship. So I think, uh, I don't know. I don't like porn, but that's me. As I'm, you know, again, all this is subjective. But you ask my advice, so you're getting my advice. And uh, you know, personally, if you ask me, and you did, I don't like porn. Um, I've seen it, seen it, of course. And when I do see it, I'm always like, oh my god, this is so exciting. It's so exhilarating. But like, that's because I, I never watch it. I'll watch it like once every like, I don't know, eight years, like barely. Or like, you know what I mean? Like, so I, I can see like a, a sex scene in a movie or like a guy putting his hand in a, in a, of a woman's dress or in her skirt. And I'm like, wow, oh my God. I'm like, you know, I'll look over at my boyfriend and like, I'll be all turned on. And, and like, that's because I'm not desensitized. Like, you know, I have sex very regularly. I'm super sexual, but I, for whatever reason, I just never got into porn. Like even when I would masturbate, I would like visualize my fantasy like oh my goodness my crush or my whoever my boyfriend is at the time like I only masturbate to the thought of my boyfriend which sounds like a lie but it's not it's completely true um and I would always just use my imagination because I'm so imaginative uh not that people who watch porn are not but uh yeah I don't know I always just preferred the real thing or imagining it um so I think there's a definite desensitization that comes with watching a lot of porn And because when you came of age, um, your way of getting off or feeling sexy or sexual uh, involved like lurid, torrid scenarios um, that were secretive and hush-hush and made you feel shameful or confused, that is like, that's your starting point. And that's really difficult. And I've talked to men that I've, you know, slept with or dated in the past and, or just my guy friends you know, even people just in general I've spoken to because I'm always talking about everything. I don't shut the fuck up, as you can see. How dare you? This is my podcast. It's the email episode. I'm just here talking. Didn't you want this, you said? Anyway, um, it's a very special episode. So, I, but I would talk to these uh, kind of my friends who are like compulsively into porn, watched a heavy amount of porn, and they're like, yeah, they're like, yeah, it sucks. Like I'm totally desensitized. Like it takes so much for them to get like a heart on and, and like, uh, it's just, it affects your brain. So that's why it's for me. I just feel like, oh my God, it's so cool to, you know, not need that because then a lot less is exciting. Like a makeout or a look or a touch in real life with a person or whatever. So I would just say like, stay off the porn. This would be my, my advice. As hard as it is, if you want to try it a new way and you want to learn how to develop a real IRL connection um, and orgasm with your your current person, yeah, go to therapy. If you can't afford it, there are definitely great therapists who do like a, it's like a sliding scale um, payment system where if you can only afford like $10 a session or 20 bucks or whatever, 25, but um, find a therapist because uh, money should not be what keeps you from going to a therapist because you can make something work. Um, I don't know if you're still in school or in college, but you can go to a guidance counselor um, at school. But yeah, I would say get the word out more because if you sending me, and I'm very open-minded and have an awareness, if even I forgot that weird torrid shit happens like this, and even if, if I'm shocked, like, oh my God, eight years old, she's on the internet, and like 40-year-olds and older people are like, you know, sexualizing this eight-year-old child. If if that shocked me and was a wake-up call and reminded me about sinister sinister shit that happens on the internet, yeah, you, you can sh- you can be sure 
that it will uh, wake up and shock other people. And they should be woken up because if they're woken up, uh, another eight-year-old or six-year-old or 10-year-old or whatever, a child can be protected from, from stumbling into the situation. And you did nothing wrong. Of course, you grew up in this culture, this age of like, you know, yeah, you're in the computer, no big deal. And your parents are like, whoa, what is this? So crazy. Facebook. Whoa. I don't know. Like, you know, and, but you're like just an old pro getting on there as a two-year-old probably, you know? Um, anyway, so listen, yeah, stay off the porn, get the word out, take your power back and you are very powerful. And thank you for writing me this email and I hope uh, this wakes some other people up who heard the, me reading your email. And um, and I'm not saying don't watch porn uh, because I think it's bad. I'm saying for your situation of what you want to accomplish sexually and and uh, like maybe uncross some wires in your brain, like these uh, that you, you know these you want to undo the conditioning um, that you've gone through. Yeah, it, it would be in your best interest to stop watching porn and just relearning how to be sexual, relearning what that is to you, what you want it to be. Because you did suggest like, oh, maybe I should lean into this. Maybe I should not feel shame. And yeah, you don't have to feel shame for anything. But the fact that you're questioning it and you're noticing that you have um, a hard time just having an orgasm and being with this person you love so much, you respect so much, you're you're so attracted to um, and you feel a real sense of connection with, knowing that you can't reach feeling a certain way with him because you need a lot more stimuli. Um, I would prefer, especially if I was him, I don't know, who knows what he's into either, but I think it would be a simpler way to live your life to not need anything else. So instead of leaning in, being like, fuck it, Let's just watch porn together. And I'm really going to lean into it. I'm going to be like, this is who I am. I'm going to own it. Fuck yeah, you could totally do that if you want to. But the vibe I got from your letter and what I would do if I were you is I'd be like, you know what? I'm going to, um, I'm gonna, I'm, I want to, I want to reparent myself. I want to not go full throttle in this direction of like, okay, well, this is what happened when I was little. So this is who I am now. And this is what I need. And I now I need to like bring in fucking dildos and this and that and blah, blah, blah. And like have my boyfriend say mean shit to me or feel like I'm being dominated or he's an old man and I'm a baby. Like, or watch porn and blah, blah, blah. It's like, oh my God, what if you go on a trip? What do you have to pack? What porn do you have to download in another country to make it work or to your phone before you get to the other to your destination. I mean, just my God, simplify your life, simplify your life and focus on human connection and being present and in love. And I just think that's how I prefer to be. You know, I got my own issues with like, you know, bad habits and not trusting uh, that I'm really trying and it is hard. I'm trying to let go of those bad habits because they don't serve me. Um, and they complicate my life and they're unnecessary. Well, maybe maybe you can uncomplicate your life by just um, being naked with, the, with, your, with your love and them being naked and making out and discovering each other's bodies. And I don't know. Or watch the movie Love. <laughs> Does that derail everything I just said? 
that movie. It's a French film, but they're so stylish and beautiful. And like, they're like experimenting with their sexuality and being open and going to parties and fucking and bath and cheating on each other and doing drugs and going to like a sex party. And it just all seems like very complicated, but that movie is enough. Like a lot of the sex is happening. That to me is as close to porn as I'll get to. Cause I'm like, Oh my God, so, everything's out of control, but they're also good looking. This makes me want to have sex, but it's like in an arty kind of art form, uh, you know, French, French uh, cinematic way. Anyway, I hope any of that made sense and was helpful in any way. Um, all right. Hey, Lexi, time for me to write an even longer, more vulnerable letter to you. Uh, my name is Kevin. I wrote to you last time you read emails on your podcast, uh, and I've heard every episode from 2018, and I love it. I looked all the way down the list and saw Boy Crazy Radio with Kasim G, so I listened to that episode. It's so cool to see how you've changed over the years, but your core self remains intact. Then when I saw a new episode with him and immediately listened to it because I love his content, uh, I loved it all. Hearing your stories about how you grew up shows me how childhood keeps affecting us through the rest of our lives, from how your dad treated you to how your mom was such a badass to how you treated all the guys you previously dated. Also, it's funny how you always mention you're an Aquarius in literally every episode. I'm a Leo, if you're curious. Uh, So I have to tell you more about my hopeless romantic tendencies and a whole bunch of other shit. Um, All right. By the way, this is an email from a man. My first... Guy email of the episode. Okay. Um, I finally finished and sent uh, this girl that I have a crush on volume three of my letter on September 24th and Facebook told me that she saw it that same day. No response. And I'm okay with that. I reread it today and saw the two long letters I wrote were in 2016. The last one felt like closure in a way. Uh, and I had to send this last message to be able to finally let her go. Yes, part of me still thinks maybe she's not against meeting me. Okay, so he had a crush on a girl. I guess he tried to uh, contact her. He didn't hear from her. Now he's needing closure. Okay, yes, part of me still thinks maybe she's not uh, not against meeting me in person one day. Whatever happens, I think I can say with confidence, I would be okay if we never cross paths again. I didn't mention in my last letter that uh, that I've met another person who I have strong feelings for. It was two years ago in February when I first met her. It was the beginning. uh, In the beginning, I was mesmerized by her good looks, but the more I talked to her, the more I liked her for who she is. Eventually, somehow, uh, I let it slip that I smoke weed, and we made plans to have a smoke session sometime. We had such a good conversation, uh, and I had the genius idea of writing her a letter saying that I liked her, but mentioned I was aware that I had barely met her and needed to chill out because I know how I am with my crushes. She told me it was sweet, but that she had a boyfriend. She said we could be friends, and I felt okay about it because I got to speak my truth. Later in the year, they broke up, and the workplace gossip quickly let me know of the situation. I told her uh, someone told me that I should ask her out now that she was single, but I said that's ridiculous because she needs time to be by herself before starting another relationship. We had a chat about it, and she, of course, uh, agreed with me and said, you don't have to wait for me. Go live your life. She didn't want me to say no to other opportunities for a relationship, but no matter who I met, I couldn't get her out of my mind. I guess there was still a part of me that thought of the girl from my younger days because I knew I had to write her one last time. Once the letter was sent, though, I felt okay about letting that person go. When you first meet someone new, there's that exciting feeling of meeting a new person, but after a few interactions, a few weeks or months, those feelings would fade away as reality set in. Every time I talked to her, it felt so effortless and I felt understood and heard. Last April, I sent that girl the drawing I told her about because 
it was on my mind and perhaps so she knew she wasn't the only person I could I could see myself with. Wait, I'm so confused. I don't know if he's talking about the other girl that he wrote to or the new girl, whatever. All right. Things are happening with women here in this guy. Okay. Whew. The font for this email, by the way, is like eight point font. Um, anyway, in July, we went to go get a Jamba Juice and ended up talking for four hours. Not once was there a moment of silence or feeling like we should leave. We, I assume this is the new girl. Okay, anyway. We only left because we realized we had been talking for so long. By the end, she told me that she does feel something for me, but she still wants to remain friends because neither of us are in a place where being in a relationship would be a good idea. As I drove away, I kept singing along with the song I was hearing, but I started crying. I was feeling so much emotion, I couldn't help but keep bawling uncontrollably. It was such an intense mixture of feelings that I couldn't understand it at all. Uh, I felt like I am not good enough for her at the moment. I find it hard uh, to forgive myself for all the idiotic decisions I've made over the years. Despite being such a good guy, I'm still human and have acted selfishly. This part is hard to talk about, but I have seen over two dozen escorts in my short 25 years. What? Okay. The tables have turned in this email. All right. Getting my reading glasses on. Um, Okay. What? Most of it was from... Okay, so what's going on here? This guy had a crush on a girl. Emailed me about it, about how he emailed her a bunch. That's over with. He's got closure. New crush, new girl. She was in a relationship. Then she's out of the relationship. They're talking to Jamba Juice, but she's not ready. Then he's thinking on the ride home while he's crying, I'm not a good guy. And then he's telling me maybe he's not such a good guy He's acted selfishly because he's seen over two dozen escorts in his short 25 years. Okay, back to the letter. I think I figured it out. All right. Most of it was from 2013 to 2017, but in the last year and a half, I have seen six different girls. I rationalized it in so many ways. I did not want to date someone merely for the sex part, so I didn't want to date anyone at all. I didn't want to spend money on a date if I knew all I wanted was sex, so I thought it would be better to just pay for the sex. I didn't want to tell a girl I loved her and wanted to be in a long-term relationship when I was certain it wouldn't last more than a few weeks. Obviously, there was no way to know how long a relationship would last without actually being in it, but I could tell by their personality that I wouldn't want to spend much time with these people I met. Also, I used to be obsessed with end-of-the-world conspiracy theories and was convinced I would not make it to 25, let alone 30. There were times I felt okay about my sex with escorts, but there were a few times I would be driving home crying and hating myself for making such shit life choices. At different points, I tried several dating apps and sites thinking that maybe they would increase my odds of meeting someone who I could connect with. It didn't work, and I got zero dates from them. I would feel sorry for myself, and eventually that would lead me to go and look up escorts like I was browsing through eBay. Most times, I would just masturbate, and I wouldn't go through with it, but I went through with it enough times that I now carry this guilt with me every day. If I'm really going to be honest with her, I feel as though I have to talk about this at some point. I keep thinking that once I do, she'll never look at me the same again. Wow. So I typed this out a few weeks ago, but I didn't send it to you, Alexi. I thought I should give it some time so I could add more or edit it down. Although I do love your podcast, I do not like every episode, which is to be expected since we are different people with differing worldviews. For example, I could not even pretend to care about anything to do with the Kardashians, not wishing death upon them, but 
if it happened, I wouldn't feel sad. Also, shows like The Bachelor make me want to throw up. I agree with you, dude. Jesus. I, I, okay, anyway. Seriously, Lexi, I hate to be so judgmental, but I feel the judgmental bubbling up and making me like you a little less for being so excited for reality TV shows. Wait a minute. How did this turn into you writing me a very long letter that I read in my last episode of emails? Then we got part two of this long letter about Jamba Juice, Tears, and Escorts, and Crushes, to now part two of the same email where you've reflected after beginning the email, and now you're insulting me. Oh, all right. Um, Amazing. Just amazing. Uh, Seriously, I hate to be so judgmental, but I feel the judgment bubbling up and making me like you a little less for being so excited for reality TV shows. Well, you really would have hated... uh, my play-by-play of The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills um, earlier in this episode. At the same time uh, that I'm hating all this nonsense TV you seem to love, I am watching Jenna Marbles on YouTube paint her face to look like her Italian greyhound. Then I'll watch a rooster teeth video or show that can be quite ridiculous. Recently, I started watching sports uh, on a channel called That's Good Sports, and it's all about football, followed by a video of Vlog Brothers. And they have some sort of introspective, thoughtful message for the world. I guess my point is entertainment is just entertainment and I should not be such an asshole when other people tell me they like Riverdale or YouTube makeup tutorials. But I will like someone less if they genuinely think the Kardashians are people to look up to. Same if they preach Jesus all the time and treat foreigners like lower class humans. I'd also like to mention that when I, whenever I did see an escort, I would treat them with the utmost respect. Many would tell me I'm sweet and give me a hug goodbye, telling me I should definitely see them again. I'm a complicated mess that needs years of therapy to sort out what's in my brain, but instead I write a long email to a podcaster in LA. I don't think I'd want this email read on your podcast. This one feels too personal and is really only for you. Oh my God, signed K. All right, Um, man, I have so many more emails to read, but I think I'm going to end it on that email. Oh my God, what a journey that email took us on. You know what? Uh, I do like reality TV. It'd be lamer if I pretended I didn't. It'd probably be better if I didn't. I know. Uh, Are people um, complicated? Aren't we all just contradictions? Just so many contradictions. Um, A multitude of contradictions. Yeah. Uh, okay, so you want a girlfriend, you got a crush on these women, you're going to the escorts, you feel deep shame. I do think you need to be in therapy. Um, my personal opinion, and I did read this on the podcast because I was literally reading it for the first time ever while recording and I didn't know, you should have specified at the top of it, don't read it on the show. And also I tell people to send their letters and emails in so I can read them on my podcast. Um, Yeah. I mean, Jenna Marbles, you're watching, whatever, that's fine. Kevin, first and foremost, I want to say thank you for your honesty. Whatever journey you just took me on uh, in this email, thank you for being so incredibly honest, being so complimentary and open-minded and uh, and forthcoming with everything you're going through. I'm going to address a few things before I launch into something else, um, into my personal opinion. Okay. Um the girl at Jamba Juice, I'm just going to rip this off like a Band-Aid. She's not into you. She's making up excuses. This is how I feel. If she wanted to be with you, she would be with you. She's hung out with you enough. If she was like totally into it, she would be like, okay, let's do that. Oh my God, you like me? I like you too. Oh my God, you can't fight these feelings. 
she's not into it and she doesn't know how to get out of it. So she's tiptoeing around it and she wants to be friends that it's not going to change. All right. Uh, so you don't have to tell her about like, you don't have to, I know you don't feel good enough for her and you're struggling and it's lovely. You're doing some soul searching. All right. And you feel like you're not good enough for her and you feel guilty about going to the escorts and whatever. And you know what? I'm going to say some stuff later, but I don't even, I'm not bummed that you went to escorts. I get it. You want sex. You're not finding it. You don't want to be irresponsible with people's feelings. You're treating the escorts well. You know, they're sex workers. It's totally fine if they're doing this job and, and like you're allowed to do whatever you want to do. Um, but you don't need to tell this girl that you had a Jamba Juice with about that so she can really know the real you because you don't owe her that. And I'm going to tell it to you straight. She's not going to be your girlfriend already. She's not into it. In the future, if you fall in love with another girl and it's reciprocated and you feel like you need to tell her, fine, maybe you do. If you guys are entering into a relationship, maybe she asks you specifically. I like to ask every guy I've ever dated if they've ever gone to a prostitute. I just ask every guy that. I swear to God, I always do because it matters to me. Um, And here's why. I, if, if you were a guy uh, who had a crush on me and you told me, and maybe there was a chance I had a crush on you, which I don't, um, uh, I know you're being very vulnerable with me and I'm like being defensive right now because you were like weirdly, you're like being vulnerable with me, but then you're insulting me. It's just like all over the place. You do need to be in therapy. I definitely do as well. And I am um, here and there. Uh, I get why you go to escorts. I understand there is a you know, I don't disrespect sex workers, escorts, but if you told me that, yeah, I wouldn't want to date you. I just wouldn't. That's the honest to God truth. I would respect you being honest with me, but then my honest reaction would be like, oh, that bothers me. And it bothers me because if it's a job I wouldn't want my daughter to do and a woman is just being paid, she has every right to do it. I know I'm saying some fucked up shit, but I've talked to a lot of guys that some guys that I've made out with before and or dated, um, and they've gone to sex workers, and it always just rubbed me the wrong way. And I don't want to stifle how I feel and what my actual opinion is because I'm afraid people get mad at me for it. Like that's lame. Um, I completely like do what you need to do, do what you like doing. This is to the women or men who are sex workers. But as far as a guy I want to date, I get nervous dating a guy who would see a prostitute or an escort because it makes me worry about how they see women and that women can just be bought and it's a transaction. Sex is a transactional experience. For me, sex is not a transactional experience. Yes, I've made jokes where it's like, yeah, buy me, uh, my boyfriend bought me dinner. I went on a date. The man bought me dinner. And then I like have made jokes and, and like looked at it and been like, is that liking me to like, it's a financial transaction that's happening? Um, I, so I'm totally willing to look at all of my actions and beliefs and not leave any stone unturned, but I don't want a guy to put his dick in me if there's any chance. And he doesn't even have to have gone to an escort for him to think of women this way. You, you never know what another person is thinking. And so you take as many clues as possible, their behavior, their past experiences, like, um, you know, like I cheated on an ex-boyfriend of mine a long time ago, like when I was like 21 years old, I was in a relationship and I cheated and I told my current boyfriend, uh, I'm 38 years old now. I told my current boyfriend that I did this when I was 21 and I didn't like his response 
but he didn't like me telling him that I had cheated and it made him feel like, you know, a certain kind of way. You don't want to hear that anybody's cheated. If I heard a guy cheated on his ex-girlfriend, I'd be bummed. I'd be like red flags. And I know that I'm never going to cheat again. And even though people say never say never, I know because I had that one experience, never need to ever do that again, horrible feeling. Instead, I would just get out of a relationship if I was in it. If I wasn't happy, if it was leading me to like search for more or try to weasel my way out of it by cheating, like, no, 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 no. If I'm not, if, if it's not working in my relationship, get out of it and then, you know, you don't need to cheat. Lesson learned. So I'm just saying like when you share information with another person, you take a chance of them reacting a certain way and, and they're allowed to. Um, and so, yeah, I would be worried and concerned and put off and turned off by the fact that you bought you know, a woman's sex, I wouldn't like it. It would totally turn me off. And you've done it so many times that it was just like, I'd be like, oh my God, like, is he desensitized to sex? Does he think like a woman is just something that can like, you know, ugh, I don't like that. And I would never be a prostitute, even though I've, I, I thought about it in the past a long time ago. I was like, God, I really need money. Should I just like, could I do this? Like I've had these like thoughts, you know, before, like people say they don't have these thoughts or maybe my brain just goes there. And I've had like sex workers at girls night in sessions and stuff. And, but for me, I always thought, oh, I can't do this because I, I want to know that no matter what, when I have sex with someone, it's because I'm, I want to, and I don't need anything from them. I mean, sure, I need validation, present, no, it's kidding, uh, you know, whatever. I don't want to know it's like, oh, if I don't, if they don't fuck me and give me money, I won't be able to pay my rent, so I need to do this. Like, I'm at their mercy. I don't want that. I don't want that. Um, so, yeah, anyway, and uh, I'm not saying I love the Kardashians. I, I think, you know, I don't really watch the Kardashians. I do like Kanye West. I am proud of Kim Kardashian for uh, for for going to school, for trying to do good, whatever, who cares? I like the Real Housewives. I like Vanderpump. Yeah, it's not, you know, I'm not so proud of it, but I'm not embarrassed. And uh, those are my vices. But uh, I know who I am. So how dare you? Anyway, uh, listen, this has been a long one, um, longer than I thought it would be. Anyway, um, I'm going to read the remaining emails probably uh, in a few weeks, but uh, I do want to refer you to, uh, yeah, I listened to Oprah's Soul Super Soul Sundays. Uh, I listened to Oprah's Super Soul Sundays podcast. Love it. Since you're already listening to a podcast right now, you might as well listen to this episode next. It's uh, her episode called The Path Made Clear is so wonderful. It is so incredible. And uh, it's like a medley of all these like conversations she's had with all these people over the years, giving amazing advice and and kernels of knowledge and wisdom. And uh, it's so inspiring. And it talks about how like, because I run into things where it's like I procrastinate and I have all these things I want to do. And then, you know, even though it might seem like I do a lot of stuff and I do a lot of stuff, there are all these other things I want to do and I'll procrastinate and I'll put them off. And then when I do them, finally, I'm so happy I did them. I'm in the middle of a project right now that I'm like getting through, but it's really hard for me to complete this project. I'll just call it that, a project. And one of the nice points that somebody on this Oprah podcast uh, made was the fact that like when you're meant to do something that is for the evolution of your soul, uh, you're going to be met with a lot of resistance. 
because it matters. It's so important. It's so important for you to do it that if it's difficult for you to do it and to walk through it, that means something. So I thought, fuck, I really got to finish this project. I got to really, really uh, just keep walking through it and show myself that I can do it. Uh, also, Lacey Phillips was on the Goop podcast. That was incredible. I was so proud to hear her on there. Lacey Phillips has been on uh, uh, my podcast, this very podcast, twice. And she's a life changer. And now she's on the Goop podcast. And uh, that's fantastic. Um, my God. Oh, by the way, why didn't anybody tell me that Billy Lord, who like steals the movie uh, in Booksmart, she's the character that keeps popping up at every party. It's not really a spoiler. Just relax. Um, she's so wonderful. This actress, Billy Lord. I didn't know she was Carrie Fisher's daughter. Carrie Fisher and Billy Lord had a daughter. And it's Billy Lord. Wait, Carrie Fisher and... What's his name? Lord? Brian Lord. Kelly Fisher, no, Carrie Fisher and Brian Lord. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Had a baby, and that baby's name is Billy Lord. And Brian Lord is like a, a huge agent at CAA, isn't he? Like a, whatever, he's like huge at CAA, the Tinseltown uh, agency, to the stars. And, uh, and, he stopped, uh, I think him and Carrie Fisher got a divorce, and, and uh, he married a man. I love it. The story, the plot thickens. Fascinating. And they've they created this little beauty, this this incredibly talented gift of an actress, of a soul, Billy Lord. Um, anyway, yeah, I love Carrie Fisher. And I was saying last week how uh, you know, I didn't want I didn't want this book that I was reading to end. And the book was not written by Carrie Fisher, it was written by a woman named Erica Jong. So Erica Jong wrote this book called Fear of Flying and another book called How to Save Your Own Life. And I uh, read How to Save Your Own Life. And I didn't want it to end because it was so good. And I just didn't want to be done with it. But I finished it. And, uh, and yeah, I said last week, her, her writing reminds me, and I think it's even better than Carrie Fisher's. So, and then I started thinking, God, who would be at my ideal dinner party? Alive, living or dead. And uh, my list was Bethany Frankel, Carrie Fisher, Howard Stern, Oprah, Cher, and Parker Posey. And uh, Erica Jong, Erica Jong, the author of my uh, my new favorite book, How to Save Your Own Life. Anyway, um, listen, I'm going to wrap this up. Uh, I do want to say, uh, if you want to advertise on this podcast, DM me on Instagram at Alexi Wasser. I'll be back with an, an incredible guest next week, and the following week, and the following week after that. Um, Let's be friends on Instagram again at Alexi Wasser. If you want a big sister session, clink, 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 and click the link in my bio. Uh, should we just say clink now? Clink the link in my bio uh, on Instagram to uh, for more information or to book a big sister session all your own. And uh, yeah, fucking Max Landis, unbelievable. I wonder what's going to happen there. Is he going to go to jail? Is he going to go to court? Is he going to be thrown out of Hollywood? What's going to happen? Anyway, um, I'm considering going to a silent retreat, if you can believe it. Yeah. Um, At the Lake Shrine Self-Realization Center in the Pacific Palisades. You can do a silent retreat for five days. And uh, it's not even very expensive like by donation only. So I'm looking into that. That could be a lovely thing. Uh, anyway, so many more emails to read, but I think the, uh, the few that I read today were monumental enough. And I hope all of you tune in next week. Uh, 
I hope you enjoyed listening and I will talk to you next week.